Father, we thank you for this another day to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray now that you would speak to us, for we need to hear a word from on high. Bless the proclamation of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me today to Acts chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 43 through uh, verse 47. Verse 43 through verse 47. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among as anyone had need. So continually, daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I want to preach today from the subject, the character of the church. The character of the church. Last Sunday as we studied Acts chapter 2, 42, we saw a vivid portrait of the church. We saw that the church consisted of spirit-filled believers who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. However, today we'll look further into that portrait and examine the character of the church. To begin with, the first church was an awe-inspiring church. Notice verse 43a. Then fear came upon every soul. Here the Greek word for fear is phobos. It's a word that refers to holy terror related to acknowledging the presence of God. In other words, it means having an attitude of utmost reverence for the awesome presence, power, perspective, and prerogative of God. It describes the feeling you get when you know God is in the house, when you know God is in the church, when you know God is in the place or in the situation or the circumstances. It's the kind of reverential awe experienced by the prophet Isaiah in the sixth chapter of the book which bears his name. Listen carefully as Isaiah describes his awestruck experience in verses 1 through 5. The text reads, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah goes on to say that he saw angels, and one said to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah continues in verse 4, And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Out of that awe-inspiring experience, Isaiah wrote in verse 5, listen to these words, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Like Isaiah, the first church at Jerusalem was so endued with power from on high, so engulfed by the presence of God, so enamored with the person of God, 
that everyone, whether inside or outside the church, kept experiencing, kept witnessing, kept feeling a sense of awe, that reverential, uh, reverential respect. They kept feeling a divine mix of fear and wonder. And don't miss this. They were not awed by the church because of its buildings a budget. They were not awed by the church because of its programs and projects. They were not awed by the church because of human abilities and accomplishments. Rather, they were awed by the church because they saw things happening in and through and around the church that only God could do. Listen, if the church is going to be a Pentecostal production, an awe-inspiring movement, an earth-shattering presentation, a force in this world to be reckoned with, people must see God doing supernatural things, remarkable things, unbelievable things in and through us. Things that only God can do. Things that blows their mind. Things that leave them awestruck. Asking the question, how in the world did those people pull that one off? Then we can say, God did. Second, the first church was a miraculous church. Look at verse 43b. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The New Testament church was characterized by wonders and signs done through the apostles. Now let's be clear on the wording of the text. Luke is careful to point out that the signs and wonders, don't miss this, were done through the apostles, not by the apostles. You see the difference? Luke, Luke points out that, that the signs and wonders were done through the apostles, not by the apostles. The word through lets us know that the apostles were agents. They were conduits. They were vessels by which God did many signs and wonders. And another thing, the signs and wonders were used to attract, to draw, and to lead people to God. Not to the apostles. Let me say that again. The signs and wonders were done to attract people to God, not to the apostles. The apostles were not in ministry to make money. They were not in ministry to make a name for themselves. They were not in ministry to become superstars and superheroes or celebrities. Rather, they like other spirit-filled men and women, were in ministry to live for God and to be used by God in the ways that God would get the glory from their lives. So it is today the message of Pentecost. It's a message that says to the 21st century church that your mission, your assignment, your duty is to be the means, the instrument, the, the, the methods by which the power of God travels to reach desolate, destructive, diabolical, decaying, and dying people and draw them unto God.
This past week, I read where the CEO of Amazon was criticized for supporting the Black Lives Matter movement in a heated online exchange between the CEO and a racist. The racist used some very disturbing language and made it clear that he, along with others he knew, would no longer shop Amazon. To which the CEO replied, good, because you are the type of customer I want to lose. Now, I must confess my initial reaction was a feeling of satisfaction at the CEO's response. I, I, I must confess that I wanted to say good for you. That, that's a great response. But later the Holy Spirit arrested my feeling of my satisfaction. And he turned it into feeling of sadness and reminded me that that racist hater, like all racist haters, need Jesus. For without Jesus, he or she will face eternity in a burning hell with others who hate them with even greater hate than they now hate others. Then I thought, how wonderful it might have been for the CEO to write something like this. Sir, who you really need is Jesus. He can save you and transform your life from being enslaved by hate, by rage, by bitterness. He can transform your life into one of loving God and loving your fellow human beings. So here's the stark reality. The world is watching the church today. So what will they see? Will they see wonders and signs? Or will they see weakness and sorrow? Will they uh, see us consumed with passion, leading wicked people to Jesus and say, I know God was in that? Or will they see us consumed with passion to build bigger buildings and to boast about larger budgets and say, oh, the people did that? Will they see the church leading the charge, tearing down barriers and building bridges and say only God could have pulled that one off? Or... Will they see us separated, divided, and hating along political, economic, socializing, and say they are no different than anyone else? Will they see us sharing the light of Jesus Christ and sharing food and water and clothing and medicines in our communities and around the world and say God must be helping them do that? Or will they hear us whine, complain, and make excuses and say they have no hope, no help, no dreams, no aspirations, and no power. Third, the church was a sharing church. Observe verses 44 through 46a. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. 
So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food. In the days of the early church, when a person received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and made his or her decision public through being baptized, they were immediately cut off from their family and friends. It was so bad that Jewish fathers and mothers would de deny their children if they made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The father would say that I once had a son who's now dead or I once had a daughter who is now dead if that son or daughter professed faith in Jesus. In addition, those who decided to follow Jesus lost any economic support they had from their families. If they had their own businesses, people in the community would stop doing business with them. For many, that spelled economic disaster. And of course, the Romans had no welfare system for poor and needy Hebrews, nor would the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees help them in any way. Therefore, church members began to pool their resources together, and they began to share with everyone who had need. Commentator John Phillips states it like this. The sharing of the early church was spontaneous and motivated by Holy Spirit love. It was not a dictatorial system clamped on people against their will. This was love, not law. Compassion, not compulsion. One of the ways the church knows we are in line with the word the will and the ways of God is through our responsible sharing with members in need. And our willingness to share with needed people, hurting people, hungry people, thirsty people, local pe people, and people around the world. One of the ways that the world knows that we are in line with the word and the will and the ways of God is our willingness, our ability to share with those who are in need, whether they are right around us or whether they are many, many miles away. Fourth, the first church was a joyful church. The fourth, first church was a joyful church. Look at verses 46b and verse 47. They ate their food, get this, with gladness of heart. They ate their food with gladness of heart, praising God. Now that's amazing to me because with all that was going on around them, with all of the hate, with all of the persecution, with all of the uncertainty of the day, that first church in Jerusalem, that first New Testament church, that first church where those 120 followers of Jesus joined and 3,000 later joined, that first church, the Bible says, ate with gladness of heart and praise God. Imagine that. 
all of the turmoil, all of the disturbances, all of the confusion, all of the hate, all of the, all of the criticism, and yet they were able to eat with gladness of heart and praise God. That means, y'all, that they were not sitting around bathing in doom and gloom. They were not basking in sorrow and suffering. They were not baking in doubt and disillusionment. Oh, they had reason to doubt and to be disillusioned. They had reason to be gloomy and doomy. They had reason to bask in sorrow and suffering, but they refused to do so. They were not even baking in doubt and disillusionment. No, to the contrary, they were rejoicing. First church was a rejoicing church. No wonder they drew so much attention. No wonder they were so magnificent. They were rejoicing. But here's a question. How could they do it? Hey, ever thought about that? Here was the early church. The Romans were against them. The religious establishment was against them. Society was against them. How did they do it? They were small in number compared to everybody else. How did they do it? How did they keep it together? How did they go on rejoicing? When trials were many, the troubles were multiplying, and the testing was monumental. But I want to share with you three simple reasons. First, they rejoiced because they were spirit-filled. Don't miss that. They rejoiced because they were spirit-filled. They were full of God's spirit. Jesus had promised that they would receive Holy Ghost power and that they would, and, and they would live day by day in that power. They were not living day by day in the power of Rome, nor in the power of the religious establishment. They were not living day by day in the power of people. They were living in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Good hope. That's where we are. We are living in, on, and through Holy Ghost power. He is our source of joy. That's the reason we can sing with uplifted voices the words of hymn writer Henry Van Dyke. Who wrote joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers before thee, hail thee as the sun above. First, they can rejoice because they were spirit-filled. But second, they can rejoice because they were spirit-focused. Yes, Jesus told them and Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. From that point on, witnessing for Jesus was the central focus of the church. Don't miss that. 
They could be joyful because they were spirit focused. You see, followers of Jesus lived and moved and had their being just to tell other people about Jesus. The satisfaction of sharing Christ was unbelievable. As they watched God change the lives of unbelievers, transform their hearts, regulate their mind, reorient their way of living, that was their source of joy. And so it is today when the church is spiritually focused. When the church is spiritually Focus, we will joyfully invest our time, our talents, and our resources into telling the story of Jesus. There's a joy in telling the story of Jesus regardless of what goes on around us. Like the early church, we can have the same joy. There's a joy in telling people that Jesus lived a sinless life. There was no sin to be found in him. There's joy in proclaiming that he died a martyr's death or a sacrificial death. That he suffered and bled and died on the cross to save sinners from sin. There is joy in telling that story. There's joy in telling the story that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. There's joy in telling the story that he got up from the grave early on Sunday morning with all power in his hands. There's joy in telling the story that he's coming back again. There's great joy in seeing sinners saved. Jesus makes the point plain. This joy point plain. This rejoicing point plain. In Luke 15 and 10, when he said, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels, don't miss this, over one sinner who repents. The early church had joy because they were focused, their, their, their focus was on winning people to Jesus. Their focus was on telling the story of, of Jesus. Their focus was on drawing people to Jesus. No matter how wretched they were, no matter how bad they were, they didn't give up. Their focus was on telling people about Jesus. And there was joy in the telling. And there was joy in the receiving. Third, they rejoiced because... They were spirit favored. They were spirit favored. The, the early church knew they were favored by the spirit. They, they knew God would take care of, of them. They rejoiced in that, that because they had God's favor, that God would, would take care of them. Unlike people who had perhaps a lot of money, but they didn't have God and, and had positions, but they didn't have God and, and had power, but they didn't have God. These people didn't have much, many of them, but they rejoiced because they were spirit favored. They knew that whoever 
And whatever they faced, the Spirit of God would see them through. So here's the shout. The church Jesus built is still Spirit-favored. And the Spirit of God's favor will guide His church, protect His church, provide for His church, and produce in His church the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. So if you are a genuine believer in Jesus, if you are an authentic follower of the Lamb, if you are a real disciple of Christ, rejoice because you are blessed and highly favored. You're his church. You are part of his church. So you are blessed and highly favored no matter how the ball bounces or the tight turns or the cookie crumbles, if you are a part of his church, you are blessed and you are highly favored. You are spirit favored. David said you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You, you are spirit favored. David wrote about that in Psalm 5 and 11b and verse 12. David wrote, I love this verse, let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous, get this y'all, with favor. You will surround him with your shield. David talked about being blessed and being highly favored. So I leave you today. With the words of Paul in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men, to all people. Get this, y'all. Be anxious for, for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, pray about it. And thank God for his answer. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. If you listen to me today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come today just as you are. It matters not who you are, where you are, what you've done. Jesus loves you. He suffered and bled and died to save you from your sins. All you need to do is confess your sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you want to be saved today, you may pray along with me. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I confess my sins today. I need you in my life. Jesus, come into my life and save me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you were sincere. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, welcome to the family of God. God bless you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord always be gracious unto you. And may he grant you his peace in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.